MSW Media. Oh, 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 oh. the buzz of the bees and the cigarette trees, the soda water fountain. Where the lemonade springs and the bluebird sings In that big rock candy mountain Well, pour yourself a glass, sit for a spill It's time to have some fun Let's do a little thinking, some picking and a drinking. Well, this is what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Eight years ago. This month, in June of 2012, me and my then-girlfriend, who we'll call Elizabeth, adopted a three-month-old pit bull Labrador mix that the folks from the rescue had dubbed Chloe. So one of the first things we decided was that Chloe, while a cute name for, say, a Pekingese, just didn't fit our little badass pooch. We needed to give her a new name. Tried out a few. Uh, Lola, I think, was one of them. Harley was another. But none of those names took hold. They didn't feel quite right. So while this was going on, I took a trip to Scotland for work. That work being touring distilleries as a booze columnist for Playboy magazine. One of the places I visited was the Bunahaven Distillery, which was founded in 1881 near Port Askeg on the tiny island of Isla off the west coast of Scotland. The village of Bunahaven was founded to house its workers there. So I instantly fell in love with the place and the whiskey, particularly the Bunahaven 25-year-old. So you know, the island of Isla is renowned for these peat-heavy scotches made by the likes of Brooklodic, Lefroig, and Ardbeg. But Bunahaven is an outlier. They make their whiskey with nary a hint of peat influence. And the 25-year-old is an exemplar of elegance and balance. It's just... It's aged next bourbon, scotch, and sherry cask, and it offers aromas of polished leather and dried fruits and spiced oak. The primary flavors on the palate, you get sweet berries, roasted notes, and cereal. There's a touch of sea salt on the finish. You get that because of the distillery's location close to the sea there, the ocean. In 2010, Bunahaven upped the alcohol by volume from what they had had it, which was 43% to 463 it gave it a little bit extra oomph to what is truly a world-class whiskey. Really phenomenal stuff. I couldn't recommend it more if you happen to have the $700 that a bottle costs. Uh, I actually included the Bunahaven 25 in a piece I wrote for Rob Report at the end of last year called The 20 Best Single Malt Scotches You Can Buy Right Now. Google it. Go ahead. It's a good one. But in regards to that list, look, you know, people get hung up on the word best, especially when that word comes attached to a phrase like the 20 best single malt scotches you can buy right now. I don't write the headlines. The Rob Report people do. But I can already hear people getting hung up already. You know, but if, there, if there's 20 of them, how can they all be best? 
And to these people, I say politely and with infinite elegance, shut the fuck up. There are as many expressions of scotch as there are colors of the wind, as there are angels nipping at every whiskey cask in the Hebrides, as there are snooty grammarians who want to take the fun out of the pursuit of incredible liquor. Speaking of pursuit, I want to point out another important caveat about that Rob Report list. It is not the best scotches of all time. It does not, for example, include the Macallan Valerio Adami, 1926, of which there are only 12 bottles in the world, the last of which sold for, I think, a million two at auction. I'm not discouraging you chasing those bottles, of course, but my purpose was to let you know about the best scotches you have a chance in hell of finding via an online retailer or at a top-notch liquor store. Given a modicum of motivation, every one of the whiskeys on that list is eminently gettable. In fact, I suggest you treat it less like an article and more as an adult version of Pokemon Go, where instead of wandering into traffic while trying to bag a Charmander, you're wandering into the welcoming arms of your local hoochmonger in search of the Glenlivet 18-year-old. As far as best goes, while the term is inherently subjective, if there's a person alive who can't find their own personal best on that list, I'd like to have a chat with that person, preferably over a dram of Bunahaven 25, and explain to them gently with an excess of solicitude, they should shut their pipe hole and try more new things. Anyway, so back in 2012, I smuggled a bottle of the 25 back to the States with me, and one night right after I got home, Elizabeth and I were enjoying some of that fine whiskey while discussing name options for the pup, still known as Chloe, who was snuggled up sleeping right next to me on the couch. At one point, I was so enraptured by the Bunahaven 25-year-old that I started professing my love to the liquid. That's right, I was talking to it. I gave it the pet name, Buna. See what I did there? Pet name. So I'm sitting there cooing, oh, Buna, 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 I love you, Buna, again, to a glass of whiskey. That's when Elizabeth, who was getting a kick out of this silliness, suggested naming the puppy Buna. So I turned to the dog, who, again, was sleeping right next to me, and I said, hey, Buna. And her little head popped right up. And just like that, she had her name. All right, all right, all right. Okay, so we're kicking off Bunahaben month here on what we're drinking by drinking, of course, Bunahaben. But since the 25-year-old is out of most people's price range, instead we're going to tip back the 12-year-old. The 12-year-old Bunahaben. Let me, I'm going to take a little sip for you right here. And uh, in just a little bit, I'm going to be speaking with Dr. Billy Sinclair, who helps run the Visitor Center at Bunahaven over there in Scotland. And then after that, in keeping with our dog day theme, we'll hop on a Zoom with one of the world's leading canine experts, who also happens to be a well-known comedian, actor, and podcast host, my dear old pal, Justin Silver. And believe me you, he and I are going to pound some scotch. But first, a little bit more about what we're drinking. Bunaben 12-Year-Old was launched in 1979, so it's about my age. Give or take a few gray hairs. Speaking of age, it's aged in a combination of sherry, bourbon, and whiskey refill casks. And it really is the quintessential representation of the brand's flavor profile. That is light with fruit notes, nutty flavors, malty sweetness, and slight hints of vanilla and caramel. That's what Bunahaven tastes like. The Bunahaven 12 
was a double gold medal winner at one of the world's most ballyhooed spirits competitions. You've heard me talk about it before, the 2020 San Francisco World Spirits Competition. In fact, it was named Best Distiller Single Malt Scotch up to 12 years old at that competition. I'm a judge there, by the way. I should also point that out. Incidentally, one of the more curious aspects of my long-term love affair with scotch, the most macho of the brown liquors, is that it's actually helped me tap into my feminine energy, specifically the part that derives prurient pleasure from wearing skirts in public, or as they're known over there in Scotland, kilts. International drinking law mandates that the serious scotch drinker will, at some point in his quaffing career, embark upon a sacred pilgrimage to the Scottish Highlands and attend a social gathering called a Cayley, where it's customary to drink, sing, dance, drink, flirt, drink, and wear manskirts. And let's not forget the drinking as well. Ah, but if you thought getting a skirt off was a pain in the ass, guys, wait until you try putting one on. Kilts are the unwieldy condoms of the garment world. Of course, you'll need to accessorize too, and here's how. First, banging hose. I'm all about the clever wordplay on today's show. So yeah, socks are to be worn two to three fingers width below the bottom of the kneecap. Wear them any higher, people might think you're a total wanker, or worse, English. Next, it's got to be the shoes. Wingtips without tongues are the proper footwear for the kilt-wearing gentleman. Only they don't call them wingtips in Scotland. There, they're called gillybrogues, or lad shoes. Ah, the Scots. They're so cute when they make their funny talk. Of course, no Scottish kilt ensemble is complete without the piece de resistance, the deadly weapon. Okay, so it's just a skinning knife called a skiendu that is small and light enough to tuck into your sock. That's not to say it can't be used to gut the first loud-mouthed asshole who makes fun of the fact that you're dressed like a lesbian sheep herder. Not that I'm advocating violence, mind you. Oh, no, 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 not at all. I'm simply advocating a world without assholes, where proud Scottish cultural enthusiasts such as myself can get drunk and freeball it in a skirt without fear of ridicule and scorn. Also, you'll want to immerse yourself. Kilts don't have pockets. Pockets for pansy-ass pussies that wear pants because they're not secure enough in their manhood to rock the tartan-patterned wool skirt. You're not a pansy-ass pussy, are you? Are you? Of course not, or you wouldn't be here with me. Still, you need a place to carry your unwieldy condoms, so it is acceptable when wearing a kilt, and only then, to sport a leather man purse. They call it a sporn over there. The proper way to wear one is centered to the front apron of the kilt below the belt, covering your junk. Speaking of which, no tidy whities No undergarments of any kind, for that matter. Not if you want to be looked upon as a true Scotsman, a term that originated centuries ago when the kilt was part of the Scottish military uniform. Of course, those were more hirsute-friendly times, and these days, some pre-Cayley manscaping is recommended in the event you're called upon to lift skirt and prove your Scott bonafides. And how's that for a segue into a word from our sponsor? Support for What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Listen, folks, When it comes to dating, it's a jungle out there. 
But when you do find someone who wants to take you home, you better make sure it's not a jungle down there. That's why I use Manscaped, a revolutionary electric trimmer that makes accidents a thing of the past. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. Take my word on this. No, seriously, you don't want to Google snag your nuts. It's going to take you down a dark road. Another reason to get Manscaped is that you don't want to use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. That's just nasty. Oh, and Manscaped also has the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. You already put deodorant on your armpits. Why not use it on the smelliest part of your body? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code DRINKING at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code DRINKING. And always use the right tools for the job. Always use Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Mm, I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch is got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Mm-mm-mm. With me right now, uh, via Zoom, all the way from Isla in Scotland, is the assistant manager at the Buna Haben Distillery Visitor Center, Dr. Billy Sinclair. Billy, how are you? I'm good, Dan. How are you? We're doing all right. Trying to hold it together over here in the States. Uh, we, we've had better days, that's for sure. But uh, yeah. trying, to, trying to persevere, and it's, it's nice to have some good whiskey to, to get us through. Good whiskey is always a, a good thing to have around the house. So tell us a little bit, uh, Billy, about your background first. You are, I know, I, I see here in your bio, you're a geneticist, conservationist, a diving instructor, a, a coxswain. <laughs> tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at Buna Hobbit. Uh Yeah, previous career, I worked in academia for a number of years. I was a marine biologist, uh, worked on tree genetics, all random collection of stuff, but the, and then times change, things things happened and you know yourself you, life changes and you you do things to to meet the moment but ended up moving over to Isla about seven years ago um, and the one common theme throughout those whole 30 odd years is uh, a passion for malt whiskey um, and I'm one of the very lucky people who managed to turn his, his pastime and his hobby into his job. Isla for those of you out there is an island off the west coast of Scotland known primarily for having the peatier scotches but I'll but I'll let Billy talk a little bit about about Isla itself how big it it's not not that big of a place but uh, it's certainly big in the world of of scotch it certainly is i mean there's about 3 and a half 3200 people on resident on the island normally uh during whiskey festival week that normally goes to about 10,000 and like you say most people will come here we've got nine distilleries on the island um, and traditionally, the Isla was the home of the big scary peat monsters of the whiskey world. So your Laphroaig, your Lagavulins, your Arbegs. What I have is a little bit different. It used to be like that up until maybe 1963. And then we changed completely. We went from producing Isla-style heavily peated whiskey to virtually un- all unpeated whiskey. So talk a little bit about peat. Because, again, you're not doing it, but but let people know what it is, why it's so, and, and then why it's such a departure for Bunahabin to not be doing that on Isla. If you think back to uh, 200,000 years ago, most of the, the surface of Europe was covered by about half a mile of ice. And the weight of that ice pressing down on the vegetation that grew on the land 
prevented any oxygen getting into it. So instead of decomposing like vegetable matter normally does, all it did was compact it down and down and down. So the peat that we have on the island and all over the, the northern hemisphere is the compacted remains of all the plants that used to live there before the last ice age. The one thing about peat, um, when if you cut it and you dry it and it gets really dry, it burns really, really clean. There's no smoke at all. But if it's slightly damp when you burn it, it gives off a lot of smoke. But in that smoke, there's a lot of phenols and secondary compounds, which in high levels are not good for you to breathe in. But when they're passed through the distillation process of part of adhering it to the barley and then taking that into the distillation process, that's where we get those lovely phenolic flavours that people would expect from a heavily peated whiskey. So again, you you mentioned that Isla is known for the peated whiskies. What what went into the decision for Boone Haben to get away from that? Um, it was a business decision because in the 1960s, um, one of the biggest selling whiskies in the US was a blend called Cutty Sark, you know, the green bottle with the yellow label and the white three-masted schooner on sure. it. And that's an unpeated whiskey. And basically, our company was owned by the company that made Cutty Sark. And we didn't have enough liquid reserves of unpeated whiskey in the warehouse to supply the demand. So we stopped making peated whiskey at Bonahaven, added two more stills, and we converted over to making completely unpeated whiskey to put into casks to meet the future demand for Cutty Sark. Now, one day people are going to be able to visit again. I'm assuming the, the distillery is closed right now, right? Yeah, we've been closed for the past uh, six, seven weeks at the moment um, with the, the pandemic that's gone around. Hopefully that will start to ease over the, the next few weeks and months and then people will be able to come back and visit us on Isla again. So tell us a little bit about the distillery experience for those who are planning to go to Bunahaven. <laughs> We've got, we, we tell all our guests that Scotland isn't the easiest place to get to in the world. When you get to Scotland, Isla isn't the easiest place to get to. It's a two-hour drive and a two-hour ferry ride and then another half-hour ride to get to, to where we are. When you get to Isla, uh, Haven is probably the hardest place to get to. It's four miles down a single-track road, passing places absolutely crazy in the middle of summer. So for people that make that pilgrimage from the US, from Australia, New Zealand, all over the world that come to Isla, we like to make sure that when they get to the distillery, that we've got a good welcome and a, a lovely drama to, 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 to show an appreciation for the, the time and the effort it's taken for, for you to get to come and see us. It's a fantastic whiskey. And, and you know the reason we're doing this, beyond me just loving the whiskey, is this is the eighth <laughs> anniversary. This month is the eighth anniversary of when I adopted my dog whose name is Buna Haben. Excellent. Now, Excellent. What, do you have a favorite expression of Buna Haben, or uh, you're going to go with all of them? <laughs> well, the easy answer is all, all of them. The 12 is fantastic. It's, it's a fairly, it's our, our core, core range, it's our flagship one. Um, the one over here, the, the blue, the 18-year-old, for me, one of the best in the world. It's a, it's a favorite of mine. It's just... A little bit richer, a little bit more mellow than the 12. The 12's still got a little bit of vibrancy and a little bit of enthusiasm. The 18's lovely and mellow and soft and loads of character and depth. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic dram as well. What would you compare the whiskey to? And other is there is there another whiskey in Scotland that you think is sort of a, in the same line flavor profile-wise? That's a really hard call because everyone's palate is so different that you're going to find comparisons across 
the, the whole spectrum. I mean, I tend to to find a lot of comparison with some um, Glenn Farkless and also some McAllen's. Space, um, so some space side whiskies, yeah. Yeah, the, the, not, not so much the softest of the space size, but we use a lot of sherry casks, as do other, those distilleries, so there's a similarity in profile in terms of the maturation. But when it comes to the actual new make spirit, the rust spirit that goes into the casks, it's a it's a very, very unusual animal at Bonahaven because it still has characteristics you would associate with Isla, but it's a very soft, sweet, mellow Isla, which seems to be quite incongruous for many people. Would that be, since it's not the peat influence that's doing that, would you say that that is the water, perhaps, that's that's making it, that it still has those Isla characteristics? What is it about it that's, you know, giving it those characteristics? It's, it's a combination of all those things. It's the water, it's the shape of the, and size of the stills, it's the distillation profile we use. It's, if, if the marketing dream is, yeah, because we're right on the coast, you get that salty effect coming through. It's it's the wood profiles that we use. It's it's a huge combination of different factors, um, and that that to me is why I think that the the distillers and the and the blenders are, are magicians because they can maintain those characteristics that make it still recognisable as Bonahaven, but not that big peat monster that people are expecting from Isla. How long has Bonahaven been around? Eighteen eighty one. We were built. Eighteen eighty one. So. 1881. Yeah. When people do. So one of the younger distilleries. One of the younger ones. Yeah, that's correct. Now you talked a bit, a little bit about your previous life. You, you were an academic. So where were you, where were you teaching? I taught in Scotland and England and Australia and Ireland. And you just had a moment when you thought, you know what? I want to, I want to work in the whiskey world. I I guess it's like most, uh, most jobs that, I'd been doing this for 20 years and the, the higher up the, the chain you get, the, the more admin and more paperwork you get and the less fun things you get to do. And it got to the stage for me that the balance was too far on one side. I, was, I wasn't enjoying it anymore. And I was fortunate that um, with the support of my family, we made the decision that we were heading home and we came back to Scotland. And realistically, if you ask me, where are you going to move back to in Scotland? One island, eight distilleries? Are you serious? No choice. You're originally from Glasgow, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Isla is a much quieter lifestyle. It's a very different lifestyle, yeah. What else is there to do there when people come over? Is it just purely whiskey or? Oh, God, no, 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 no. There's so much wildlife on the island. There's fishing and diving. The The natural beauty of the place is incredible. The beaches, I would... I mean, you're in Venice at the moment. You've got some decent coastline not too far from not, you. Not too far, if, yeah. If you take some of the temperature you get and drop it down a bit, I'd match Isla against anywhere else in the world. It's absolutely stunning. With Bunahabin, do you parrot seafood maybe? Oysters? Definitely. We, we have a... Bunahabin always has this little sort of dry, almost briny aftertaste, especially with some of the sherry cast stuff. And see that with some prawns or some oysters or something... Uh, it's absolutely divine. Can't beat it. Well, making me hungry and thirsty. Uh, Billy, <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time to join us during uh, Bunahaven month here on what we're drinking with Dan Dunn. And uh, hopefully I'll be seeing you at some point soon over there in Scotland. Let me know when you're coming down and we'll, we'll raise a wee dram for you. Not a problem, pal. Thank you, man. Cheers. Okay. Cheers. Stay safe, man. Joining me now from his highly fortified bunker 
somewhere in the bowels of Manhattan. He is a uh, comedian, an actor, and for purposes of this episode, one of the world's leading canine experts. He's got a book out called The Language of Dogs. He's got an Instagram account, The Language of Dogs. He hosted Dogs in the City on CBS. He Women call him a dog all the time. How many women have called this guy a dog? <laughs> I call him a dog because I know he is. He is one deep down. But he's also a stand-up guy and one of my dear friends, Mr. Justin Silver. Thank you, Dan. Good to see you, buddy. Your hair is getting quarantine long. Oh, man, I got the quar- I got the quarantine quaff. Quarantine quaff. Um, <laughs> let's immediately raise a toast here of the Bunahabin 12-year-old, not only to, to us and our friendship, but also to our shared love of my dog, Bunahabin. Bunahabin is named after this whiskey. Yes, let's have one. She's one of my favorite girls, and one of my favorite times with her was when I did the World Dog Awards with her. Oh, that's right. On the big stage at my side. So could people find that? Could they Google, just Google Justin Silver World Dog Awards, and you'll see Buna? I think it's on YouTube, and you know what? I have pictures of it. I recently, because of the quarantine, one of the ways that I've been staying sane is, you know, dogs kind of keep me sane, because otherwise... My schedule will, you know, I'll wake up at 11, go to bed at five. And, you know, I I have, there's very little structure because I, just like you, like I make my own schedule. I do everything myself. But when I have a dog in the house, um, everything just gets on track. I wake up, I start training them. I take them for walks. I feel like a greater sense of purpose. So part of quarantine is I've been uh, being a lot more active on the language of dogs, Instagram account and helping people with their foster dogs. I was, I'm fostering a bunch of dogs. So I just put up like a media section or a press section where I put, you know, when I, on the cover of the times and the, and um, the dogs in the city ads. And one of the things I put up was me and Buna uh, pridefully standing there at the world dog awards. She looked adorable. She's quite the, she has a lot of stage presence. I'll just say that. Am I in your will? regarding her care if uh, your liver should fail then you my debt <laughs> oh, in really? case of my untimely well, death justin owes you whatever right yeah here we go here's a little che- a toast oh, to what are you drinking out of the soda cup there what do you got no i'm drinking i, I like these uh all right i like these bubble this is glasses. a special this toast is a very special whiskey to me my dog is named yeah. after this whiskey that's how much i love it and it's one of yeah, my favorites i never named another dog after a whiskey my previous dog was named Piglet. It's not a whiskey at all. What do you think of that? I love it. I like I've already told by the way, I've sharp. already told listeners prior to you coming on that you and I were gonna we're gonna pound some scotch today. We're pounding yeah, scotch. Yeah, you're gonna start bubbling. We're gonna be talking about dogs. You're probably gonna start bubbling and crying as normal. No. no. But uh no, this is one of my favorites. I remember when we had it the first time and you explained to me that it's uh Buna was named after it. But I like it because it's like uh, it's well rounded. It's a little sweet, but it's got kind of a spicy finish. I like I like whiskey. Neat. Isla is very famous for one thing: peaty scotches. And Boone Aubin is the outlier. There's no peat. They don't put any peat on this. And exactly what you said—that sweetness, that nuttiness—that's their flavor profile. And that's why it stuck with me when I was over there on that trip. I thought, man, this is so. This is so different than anything else that I had tried when I was on Isla, then I'm going to, I'm going to name my companion 
Where did that come from, by the way? Where did where did man's best friend or person's best friend? Let's say it was man's best friend. Where did that come from? Do you know? What that it becomes where, where, why man's where did best that friend expression come from? Well, here's the deal. A lot of the theory is that human beings would not have survived while they were living amongst Neanderthal Neanderthals if it wasn't for dogs, because dogs were our hunting partners, our alarm systems, our nannies, our hot water bottles. So one uh, one of the reasons that we were able to thrive was because of our 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 confluence with the canine species. And of course it was wolves at first. It was the wolves that had what is called the, the least amount of uh, flight response. That's what it is. So the ones that you could get the closest to before they would flee. And then those became domesticated and then they started breeding them for, you know, certain forms of work. It's a little known fact for as imposing and dangerous as they were, Tyrannosaurus Rex hated to step in dog shit. So hated it. So early man would get the dog to just shit all over outside, and the T Rex is yeah. like, "No, nah, I'm not. I'm not stepping in dog shit." See, Dan, I that now I know you read my book because that's a chapter. <laughs> I will eat that entire village whole and tear them limb to limb in their bones and everything, but I will not step in dog shit. It's a bridge too far. Uh, so, yeah. man, let's let's talk a little bit about your since this is the. The opening of Buna Habin month, the dog and the whiskey. Let's talk a little bit about yeah. your relationship with dogs. Where did this start? Okay. Um, well, I think you know this, but we'll say it for the listeners. I just I've always had a way with animals. I've just I've always loved animals. I've always had a desire to like help the needy ones. I've just always been like a sort of a kindred spirit in that way. And uh, when I was in my late twenties, I would just peruse dog parks and, you know, you're, you're becoming, you're a young adult and you're like, oh, I think I could take on the responsibility of dogs. And so I started, uh, fostering pit bulls and I liked them because they were the misunderstood breed and they seemed troubled to me. And they were, uh, there were so many of them in shelters. And then as a result of having dogs that were never that easy, um, I realized that I had a kind of a green thumb with them. And I went from personal training at that time to, Realizing that, like, you know, I got sick of listening to people's problems, but part of the thing that makes you a good personal trainer is that you're, you know, you're, you're part instructor, part therapist. And I went from uh, having this, you know, this, this career as a personal trainer to just, I was like, I'm going to start a dog walking pet sitting route. And as a result of just having so many dogs in my presence all the time, just the way a nursery school teacher happens to be, you know, just great with kids, I became really great with dogs. Like a lot of dog walkers tend to be some of the best dog handlers I know. And then before you know it, I started training all these clients' dogs, and then I started a dog training aspect of my business, and then uh, started um, I started this charity, Funny for Fido, because I was doing stand-up comedy at the same time, and I wanted to give back to the shelters where I got my dogs from, because a lot of times, you know, these people's hearts are bigger than their homes, and if you walk around New York City, you'll see in all the parks, you'll see people with these dogs laying on blankets that are there for adoption, and they're soliciting funds, and as a young comedian, you're looking for a way to you know, fill a room for an evening. A lot of times they'll give you Wednesday nights and they'll have you hand out tickets or, you know, bark part of pun intended to get people into the club. And I was like, well, I guess, you know, since I have Wednesday nights at the Boston comedy club, which is right around the corner from the comedy cellar, uh, I guess I'll do a few of these as a benefit and we'll give all the money to the rescue shelters that I got my dogs from. And then, you know, if you fast forward that to now we've done, 
dozens of them. And at the last one, Jerry Seinfeld performed and Jim Gaffigan performed that in years before that, it was Amy Schumer and David tell and Colin Quinn and Patrice O'Neill. And some of the biggest, are these, are these all dog owners as well? Are they, some of them are, some of them are, but like, you know, comedians will always really do a benefit because, you know, I think, I think comedians are just warm hearted, affected people. Um, and then, uh, somewhere in the middle of that, uh, when CBS was looking for somebody that could host a show about dog walkers or they, they really didn't know what the hell they wanted to do. Um, this is it. This is your, this is your dear friend, Les Moonves you're talking about, right? Uh, he wasn't a dear friend. Come on, no, no. Let's talk about how close you and Les Moonves were socially. We've never, we've never actually spoken except for a grievance that I had with a producer once. But David Staff, we will say, was the president of the network at the president of the studio at that time. Um, they they were trying to come up with some kitschy idea for a, a dog show, and all those ideas sounded ridiculous to me, like dog dating shows. Like, oh, could you think you could? Uh, find- is that even legal to date a dog? I, I think it wasn't people dating. Oh, dogs okay. Because was- that seems wrong. I'm just going to say. No, it was it was it was more of the equivalent of what you do walking around the streets with your beautiful Buna, uh, trying to solicit women to walk her. <laughs> oh, I got gotcha. you. Using the using the dog after- <laughs> to find uh, love. Yeah, it was that type of thing. And then uh, I was like, this all sounds ridiculous. Why don't you just follow me to work one day? And I took about 20 dogs out onto Chelsea Piers and uh, had them do various tricks and showed how I trained them. And they were like, ah, this guy is interesting. And, you know, from having a performance background could hold a show like this. And then the next thing you know, boom, dog that's in the city appears, uh, premieres on CBS Network Primetime, which I was like, holy shit, this is a big deal. And then as a result, I moved to California, which is that's when you and I met. And then I wrote my book, The Language of Dogs, with my good friend Dave, and then done every morning show in the country and then had another show in Hong Kong. And, you know, you uh, you trained some you trained some celebrities dogs as well, right? Yeah, I train a lot of celebrities. You do. Now, I I want to go back to something you mentioned early on was the, the pit bull, your affinity for the pit bull. Yeah. Would you say it's one of the more misunderstood so as we've already established, our dear Buna is half pit bull, half lab. But would you say that the pit bull, because, you know, there is a rap that goes with pit bulls. I mean, like it is, I think Denver yeah. still has a band, right? Where you can't have pit Yeah, they do. I was just in, I was in Denver a few months ago doing stand up with Dan Soder and uh, making jokes on stage about how I love them. I'm like, you know, you change your pit bull laws. I'm half sold here. But um, of course there are, because I mean, as you know, Pacino, who was, you know, my, my favorite, my favorite dog of all time was you know, lived in your house, Buna, half pit bull. The two of them, I would take them camping nonstop. There's a pit bull laying on his back right now with his belly up in the air, uh, in my living room. Um, they're just the most prevalent dogs in shelters, but out of training thousands of the, I don't know if it's thousands, but well over a thousand. I think I, sometimes I keep track. I think it's like 1120 something at this point, but I've never trained. I haven't trained percentage wise, more pit bulls for aggression than I've trained any other dog. It just happens to be that people who rescue dogs, if you're in New York city or LA, most of those dogs are pit bulls and it has to, it comes down to social economics and what types of people or what economic class are, are adopting what certain dogs. So before the pit bulls, it was the Doberman pinchers. And then in the sixties, it was, it was the German shepherds. So um, just looking at different social economic classes that, that plays a part into white, what type of dogs the people in that class tend to get and then where the majority of those dogs that are not neutered are going to end up, which is in shelters. And then if there's sort of a 
um, a punk ass contingent to what type of person is going to use a certain type of breed to walk around looking like a badass or use them for fighting. Well, that's the dog du jour right now. And they're not any stronger than Rottweilers or Belgian Malinois, which the police are using right now because they happen to be some of the most athletic and strongest, and most agile dogs, it's just whatever the dog du jour is, which happens to be the pit bull for sort of like this long standing amount of time. But in terms of the individuals, the dogs themselves, and a good dog trainer actually steps into a, a, a family with a dog and you have to assess the personality of that dog right there. I've never found pit bulls to be, as a whole, more aggressive or, or more prone to fight. I've, I've, I've never found that true. I think the fear that people have of pit bulls, I equate it to the fear of flying, okay? We're all doing it. We're all flying. The fear of flying is... That if it goes wrong, on the we all understand that there's such a minimal chance that something's going to go wrong. But if it goes wrong, you're fucked, right? And I think that's what happens with with people with pit bulls is they feel like they understand that there's probably no more danger with a pit bull than any other dog. But if a pit bull does get aggressive you're not going to have as much of a chance surviving that as if like a Chihuahua comes at you or a, or a Pekingese comes at you. But let's make it even more relevant. I don't think that, I think that forget making it a Chihuahua or a Pekingese. If a Rottweiler, if something bad's going to happen with a Rottweiler or a German Shepherd, is it the same as if it's a pit bull? Of course. It's just, there's a big dog. Their jaws are all strong. Their teeth are all massive. It's like a big dog is a big dog. You know what I mean? I think, but however, the majority of the things you hear, it's like the, the, the pit bull, even the name of it, it's like, you know, the, it, they just happen to be the majority of dogs that are adopted. And there's the most, it, there's the most of them. So I don't know. I think it's any big, I don't think anybody who's, uh, has, uh, a prejudice against pit bulls is not going to have that same prejudice against Rottweilers. You know what I mean? Or not, or, or Dobermans or my, my former dog piglet was an American bulldog. And she was big. She was probably 75, 80. Those are, those are some of my favorites too. They're very similar. Amazing no dog. And she was, she was about 75, 80 pounds. She was a, she was a well-built dog. And when I first got her, I did one of the dumbest things that I've ever done in my life. Okay. She, these dogs have, please don't tell me to put, please don't tell me to peanut butter on your Well, that, story. yeah, no, I don't want to tell you that one again. It was on my anus, by the way, first of all, get it right. So, uh, first of all, before I continue, we're we're way behind our drinking of Bunahaben here. Let's have oh, a right. I'm, I'm not. Oh, wait, little little Bunahaben. Here we go. And you have to say it because it's the dogs. It's Bunahaben month. Bunahaben. Cheers. Bunahaben. Does that mean something? That's the name of the distillery. That's the name of the little village where they make it on Isla. Bunahaben. Yeah. Oh, I I thought you were saying like as like cheers. Like it, it meant something. It's Bunahaben month, man. Come on, get with it. I got All that. right. So what I did was piglet had to take some medication. They're not exactly the healthiest dogs, American Bulldogs. So she was on some regular meds and I just got her and I hadn't quite figured out how to get this medication down that she didn't like. I, there were the pill pockets and all that, but this, this particular medication was really unpleasant tasting and she would eat, she'd start to chew the pill pocket and then she'd realize it's in there and be like, no. So the vet said, well, you just got to basically stick it down her throat. <laughs> to this day, I don't, it's, I can't even imagine what I was thinking and I was not drunk or anything at the time, but I decided the, instead of, I didn't want to stick my hand down the dog's throat. 
So I thought, now I'm fine with it. I'll, I'll, my hand will come out Boone's ass at this point. I don't even care. Just put that pill down there. But with Piglet, I was like, well, I don't really want to stick my hand down her throat. That seems mean. So here's what I'll do. While she's eating, I'll secretly, quickly stick the pill in there while she's eating, and she'll just chew it, sticking my hand in there. I remember and that this was when I learned firsthand the power of the jaw of an American bulldog. I'm not joking you. I stuck my fingers in an American bulldog's mouth while she was chewing. And I, there was a split second where I thought I was certain she broke my finger that I thought maybe I lost it. And the dog free, like jumped back. She was scared. and It was my fault. I had nothing to do with her, but I screamed so loud. I, I stuck my hand in there. And the instant I did it, everything flashed through my mind. Like how fucking stupid are you? for doing this. First of all, it didn't work. The pill was on the floor. My finger immediately swelled to like the size of my forearm. And, uh, I learned a valuable lesson that day from now on. I just let my dog suffer without their medication. It's a good, it's a good way to go. It's, uh, you know, Darwinism, man, survival of the fittest. You should, you should pull the, uh, you should pull the Chevy chase Christmas vacation, just time to the back of the car and just do the next leg of that trip. Let's do it. Wait, wait, did you adopt that dog? Piglet? Uh, Piglet, Piglet yeah. was an an ex-girlfriend. If anybody has read my book, Living Loaded, the first line of the book in Living Loaded is it was the last day of summer. Summer was an actual person. Summer was my girlfriend for a very brief time, but we lived together. Well and written. Summer had Piglet. Summer was great. She would go and she would go to kill shelters and just find dogs that were going to be killed. That's what she would do. And she yeah. and she'd get them. And she got Piglet. And Piglet was just the the sweetest dog. I'll post something on Instagram. But so then when the relationship ended, I'd really bonded with Piglet. And I think Summer was okay with me keeping Piglet. And I did. And that's how that happened. And then that's that led to Buna because when when Piglet got sick and died, she got cancer. It was very painful. That. I'll plug another book, American Wino. It's in American Wino. I recount the story of Piglet. I think My I did it. I think yeah. I did it on another episode of the show as well. But so Piglet died and it was really hard. And anybody that has a dog and has ever had to put a dog down knows just how painful it is and what a traumatic experience it is. And I came out of it vowing that I would not, I couldn't do it again. I'm like, I can't go through this pain again. And my girlfriend then, at the time, we'll call her Elizabeth, she said, well, I don't know, maybe getting another dog would be good for you. I said, no, I'm not doing I can't fathom ever having to go through that. It was so painful to watch, to put this dog down. And then about three months later, she showed me these photo. There was a, a rescue thing going, and she showed me this picture of these three little puppies, and one of them was Chloe who would become Buna. And she said, can we just go look at them? Which is the dumbest thing you could ever, because you can't go look at the super cute dog that's up for rescue and leave. You're You're coming coming back with it. it. You're not leaving. No one has ever done that. No one's ever gone and went, you're right. You're right, babe. This is the, the best looking, cutest dog I've ever seen. And let's leave it alone. Uh, no. So I, we ended up coming back and then, uh, Buna, as I talked about earlier in the show, that's how Buna got her name. And since I just said it, how about every time I say Buna Haben, we have to drink? There you go. 
I've been drinking the whole time, but absolutely. What do you think? What do you think of this scotch? So really honest to be God, beyond it, just being sweet. This is, is this the kind of scotch you could drink on the regular? Dan, this is my, Dan, when you first introduced me to this scotch years ago, I said, this is my favorite scotch I've ever had. Why is it your favorite? For that exact reason. I like the fact that there's a sweetness to it because I like it neat. So if it's, if it's too smoky, I, I don't really like it neat. I like an ice cube in it. It waters it down a little bit. I like it neat, but this goes down smooth enough, but it's got that little kick in the end. Plus, I also like the, I also like the head from it. Like if, when I drink wine, I get a little loopy. I get a little tired. When I drink this, I get a little silly. I get a little goofy. I like the way it makes me feel. I want to get your feelings about this. So different types of alcohol. We did this episode. We did, and the, and the buzz that it engenders. So with you, whiskey yeah, whiskey's a good this. one. You like the whiskey buzz. I like the whiskey and the tequila. What about beer? Not You're not all. a beer guy because you're very you're very fit. You keep yourself in shape. Do you find it's harder to keep yourself in shape if you're drinking beer? I don't like the way I feel when I'm drinking beer because I burp a lot. I start getting bloated. It's like it's too much. It's 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 too much fluid in my stomach for the amount of alcohol. However, I like White Claws, which is such a chicky drink because it's basically you're hydrating while you're drinking. It's basically just a white wine spritzer. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. I, I'm not a white. If I'm going to drink something like that, I'd rather drink like something like a white, a white claw, or I'd rather have like a white wine spritzer. Cause it's the same amount of like, you know, alcohol content to, to liquid. But when I drink beer, it's just like, it's just sitting too heavy. When you do, when you're performing comedy, do yeah. you drink at all when you're, when you're doing, you're, when you're up doing stand up? I don't drink before the show. Usually we have two shows and there's about an hour break between the two. So I'll have, either a tequila or a whiskey between the two. But if I drink too much, I'm just not as sharp, but I really like drinking to come down a little bit because afterwards your adrenaline is spiking so high. And it's like almost like a manic feeling where you're like, well, this just calmed down a little bit. So I like drinking a little bit afterwards. Is there one sort of drink that you think comedians gravitate toward more than others or everybody's drinking everything? No, Everybody's drinking everything. I mean, I have Keith Robinson loves red wine on stage. Big J does tequila shots before he gets on stage and then sort of nurses a beer while he's up there, almost like half as a prop. I have friends who are a lot of comedians are sober, so they don't drink anything. There are a lot of sober comedians. You mentioned some people before and, you know, there are, I was about to reveal, <laughs> I was about to say some names. And I'm like, I don't know if that's my job to say who's sober. Uh, they're all open about By the way, it. I'm in a war right now with a comedian on, uh, I got in a little Twitter war. With really? Nick DiPaolo. Oh, with, oh yeah. Nick's, Nick's a little... Is he being shitty Nick, just to Nick's be shitty? a little... Uh, well, he's a little... He's aggro. We, uh, we don't agree politically, for sure. I would say yeah. I, Nick is more on the MAGA side of things, and I'm not. 100%. And he posted something in the wake of this with the rioting and, and with George Floyd that I thought was pretty shitty. And so I, I wrote something along the lines of remember when Nick DiPaolo was relevant? Yeah, me neither. And then he wrote me back and said, well, I'm relevant enough for you to be on my Twitter feed and blah, blah. And then some of his fans jumped in and were calling me a dick. And then some people were jumped in and were supporting me. And I got in a little, uh, got in a little Twitter where, although he did have one of my funny, one of the funnier jokes I remember from a comedy central roast was one of the, one uh-huh. of the very first and, and to this day best was the Pam Anderson roast. Oh, and he that... was talking about 
how much he used to jack off watching Baywatch, that he used to watch it with a squeegee. <laughs> Which was funny. And he's got that one about he's got that one about Britney Spears. Like I don't think she shits. I think uh, I, I think oh not, ice cream, strawberry ice cream. No, no, frozen yogurt comes out of her ass. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about that in this day and age, and and obviously everything's been put on hold with stand up. But do you find that that's tearing apart the comedic world at all, like it is in the regular world, where you're either on one side or which aspect, where you're on one side or the other? Because there 100%. is doesn't seem to be any middle ground anymore. So you look at a comedian like DePaulo or Dennis Miller, where there are certain comedians that certainly fall on that side of the dividing line. I don't who's in the I mean, obviously, someone like Seinfeld just isn't doing touching politics. But I, I don't find it like that because I do nothing, nothing political whatsoever. And I honestly couldn't give a shit to talk about anything like that. My brand, the comedian, is just divulging my own uh, human condition and insecurities and the ridiculous things that come out of even conversations that you and I have had. Um, however, what I do find is the the language sensitivity. And I'm I'm kind of right in the middle when it comes to like, you know, I mean, I, I for every political issue, I'm you. I usually find myself sort of right down the middle, except for things you know, like abortion rights and things and gay gay marriage, like things like that. Well, you're totally against. You're totally against gay marriage and abortion. One hundred percent. I mean, you're. But, so, um, yeah. but 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 the language sensitivity of the far left is like you got to be kidding me. And I, I don't even know if it's a far left thing as much as it is just like a millennial Gen Z thing, where it's like you know you, you can't even you can't even say. The fun, you know, we were talking about this the other day on on no disrespect. My other podcast, uh, myself and Vecchio, we're talking about how you know there's there's a difference between racial humor and racist humor, and you can't get like you're like you can't be like ooh he said Jews or ooh he said Puerto Ricans. Therefore, anything that goes that comes after that is automatically wrong. And what we find is like the uh, the just the hard line of sensitivity of anything you say, no matter what it is, if it just happens to hit somebody's social button, that's just ridiculous. But the fun thing about doing it is when you get on stage, I mean, a lot of times when I'm performing either for myself or I'm opening for someone else, like they know who they're coming to see. So it's sort of carte blanche at that point. But um, the fun thing about it is when it's still your time up there and People aren't going to deny funny. And if someone wants to stick their fingers in your, their ears because you said the word rape, even if you're like, you know, making a point about how rape is wrong and you're making an example. But someone like, well, I was raped at a certain point. So therefore, none of th- this can't be funny because you're making fun of rape. It's like, no, usually you're pointing out the absurdity of somebody making fun of your rape or you're pointing out the insanity of someone who would commit a crime as atrocious as that. Well, I, I, yeah, I watched somebody sometime there was a woman at a comedy show and I remember she was yelling at the comedian rape is never funny. But what if like big bird raped you? Like that would be funny, right? If you got anally raped by big bird, that's funny. Dude, I have a joke. I have a joke that it's like, uh, it's basically, um, I have this prisons documentary joke and he's like, it, it, and he's basically, he's like, they're interviewing the psychopaths. It's, um, what's the show? It's, um, it's lock, lock, lock up, right? Right. It's lock up. And the joke and the joke sort of goes like, oh, yeah, Uh, they're interviewing one of these psychopaths. And he's like, yeah, man, when a new guy comes in here first for uh, first of first, he's got to give me his fruit cup. If he don't give me that fruit cup, I rape him. And then if he still don't give me the fruit cup, I stab him. And I'm just like, holy shit, this guy loves fruit cups. And then it follows up with it's like (laughs) it it follows up with 
if the guy doesn't give the fruit cup, I rape him. If he still doesn't make it to the, to the it's, if he still doesn't give me the fruit cup, I stab him. I'm like, who's making it to the stabbing first of all? Like, who's getting raped for a fruit <laughs> Who cup? Who loves fruit cup? Still that not much. giving it yeah. to the guy. No, they should interview him. No one, no one ever blinks about that because I'm talking about man on man rape in a prison, which is enjoyable. We all know, isn't anybody who's done time like I have knows it's enjoyable. Right. So the, the I, I guess the fun thing is when you're up there, it's sort of fun to push the buttons of those people, but not pushing them to the point where you've been like, now look, I'm going to say this annoying thing that you don't want me to say, and I'm going to intentionally push your buttons. It's it's sort of more like you're pushing their buttons because you're sticking to the format of what is funny. And at the end of the joke, it's like, well, th- this is undeniably funny. I can't stick my fingers in my ears the whole time. It's like, you know, but it, but it's it, but it's annoying to have to sort of preemptively explain what you're about to do. It's like you walked into a comedy club here. You understand the point of comedy is to take the absurdity and the insanity of the world and throw it into this big, you know, blender of let's just make fun of all this to take the sting out of it. And if you're sitting there in a comedy club with your fingers in your ears, it's sort of like you, you've brought the problem into the place where the solution happens. By the way, I do want to say uh, earlier I made a comment about, you know, Justin being anti-abortion and all. And I just want to point out that I was totally kidding about that. He's the most pro-abortion guy I've ever met. You've paid for 15, 20 abortions, right? Paid for them. I've I've hosted them. Yeah. He has part this abor- <laughs> Not only Dan, not only have you and I hosted the uh euthanasia of my dog in your living room mm. but don't get me started on how many abortions we've oh my god who yeah uh no yeah. i remember many many years ago and this is way before politically political correctness had really found its way to the world of comedy this wasn't even comedy it was a friend doing a show in aspen he was playing acoustic music and he was a funny guy and he would sometimes do songs that were humorous and do you remember this is how long ago it was. Do you remember that value jet plane that crashed in the Everglades? So this had to be the early 90s. And it was called value jet. That's why everybody remembers it because it's like- I remember value jet. So this value jet plane had crashed in the mm-hmm. Everglades. We're in Aspen, Colorado, in a coffee shop where you don't expect many people that fly value jet to be vacationing or that know anybody that- Flies value jet. I took Spirit Airlines to yeah. The, the value Spirit Airlines. <laughs> Spirit Airlines is like Singapore Air compared to Value Jet, right? So yeah. So Steve Skinner, my friend, the musician, had written a parody song that he busted out that night, and it was you know based on I'm leaving on a jet plane, mm-hmm. but it was I'm leaving on a value jet plane. So it's kiss me and smile for me. You know, I'm leaving on a value jet plane. plane. Don't know if I'll go down in flames. And, you know, it's got to, and this, he starts singing that chorus. And this woman, girl, 20 something, jumps up and crying and runs out of the place, like really dramatic, (gasps) right? And runs out. We're like, what the fuck was that? What's going on? And one of the girls were with us. Her mother was on that plane. <laughs> That's like, fair, though. No, well, no. I'm just saying, like, talk about timing. They say timing is everything in comedy. Yes. That's some bad timing, right there. You're That's like some bad timing because if you're that, playing that, the odds, what are the odds that somebody whose mother died on that plane's going to be in that coffee shop in Aspen? 
Well, let's think about it. What are the actual odds? How many people fit on those value jet planes? Two hundred fifty. I don't know. Anybody out there uh, chime in on uh, social media? Let me know how many people died in that crash. Just do that anyway for fun. Let how us many know. People, let's say yeah. let's say there's one hundred fifty passengers on a plane. Yeah. Right. And okay. What like- percentage of those people are parents? And then multiply that number by the average of kids people have. You'd have to say there's probably two hundred people probably could have had parents on that plane. Tops. That's rare. And the fact that it's an Aspen and it's a value jet, even rarer. Homeboy threw that goddamn sewed the needle with that lyric. Well, and the craziest thing was then she when she finally came back, he then played it again as an encore. And I thought I, I just thought that was I thought that was overkill. But he did it. You got to be brave in comedy. How did the rest of the audience take it? <laughs> I thought it was funny. It I was... started drinking every time you say value jet, by the way. Is that oh, yeah. okay? We're, by the way, just to remind everybody, we are here. I'm with Justin Silver, and we are drinking the Bunahaben 12-year-old expression. Dan, can I, can I pause long enough to try it with some ice cubes? Can I go get yeah, you some go, ice cubes? Yeah, you go do it, and I'll... Uh... I'll go get some ice cubes. You talk to the people. Tell them that. Tell them, sing them that song you know about Value Jet. Wait, wait, wait. Where are you going right now? To get some ice cubes. All right, I'll play a, a celebrity promo while while you're gone. What's up, everybody? This is Justin Silver, comedian, actor, podcast host, Dog Whisperer, and you are listening to What We're Drinking with Dan Dunn. All right, I'm back with a glass full of ice. Let me let me pour some in here. We'll, we'll, we're going to do this on the rocks. I'm just we poured, go. I just poured it all over my foot. Oh man, my foot's gonna my foot is gonna smell so boozy. Have you ever given Buna the Buna Hobbin? No, I I don't think liquor's good for dogs, is it? You're you're one of the preeminent No. No, not good. All right, let's try this on the rocks. Cheers. To Buna. Here we go. To Buna. And I want to hear your thoughts on it on the rocks as opposed to neat. What do you it's got? It's good both. Good both ways? Yeah, it's good both. I do like it. Do you mind if they use that in the advertising campaign? Good no. both. It's good both. It's good both. Say like I said it. Yeah, it's good both. Wanna hop and what else is going both. on, man? Have you uh have you been protesting, looting, picked up any uh I threw a garbage diseases, can through, viruses? I, I threw I got COVID and then as uh, a protest of that, I threw a garbage can through the window of an independently owned business. Um, no, but it's, it's been insanity here in New York. We have the curfew inflicted, of course, the protests while the cause is so just the looting is insane and just, uh, uh, opportunism, as you said it on the phone the other day, it's people taking advantage of a situation to get a free TV or express the rage of being, and by the way, can I take, can I, on that point, can I take back the TV that I got? Because it's not quite what no. i was looking for when i pulled it out and- oh you know what you could take it back to bed bath and beyond because you can take back <laughs> shit from there that like you haven't even bought from other places can you I imagine think I- people got like a couple months from now they're bringing them back in going hey by the way um i snatched this thing out when uh back when we were looting and it doesn't quite fit in my uh the whole feng shui thing i got going on in my living room do you mind if i uh swap it out for something different i took a turtle Back to Bed Bath Beyond for a garbage can one time. You can you can bring shit back that you didn't buy at that store. What would be the worst store? What would be the least likely store to get looted? The least likely store to get looted. It's not going to be a clothing store. It's certainly not going to be an electronic store. Pharmacies are going to be at the top. 
shoes, clothing, uh, food, obviously, especially now with what's going on. A oh weed shop well out here in California the weed shops no, weed shop they're get the weed shops got hit hard out here. What do you got? What what would nobody loot? One of those tire repair shops. I need where they're just like we sell tires. You see them a lot in L.A. They're like oh here's a bunch of like old tires. People are gonna make one of those tires. No one no one's gonna get that. You're gonna be like eh. You know what? Here here's what's not gonna get looted. You know those places where they sell just like old lady walkers? They sell like medical equipment <laughs> yeah. for people in their eighties. Well, the scooter though, the scooter, you could loot the scooter. Yeah, but you're gonna go. You're gonna go to like you're gonna go to the Vespa shop and get that thing. No one's gonna loot one of those. What about massage parlors? Can you loot a massage parlor? That's 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 uh, that's rape, Dan. Oh, <laughs> oh, there you go with that word again. Um. Man, I, is there anything that is not worth looting? You think toy stores get looted because people are like, ah, this is a place for kids? Like carpet, like carpet store. No one's going to loot a carpet shop. You know, like, oh, let me get some. Well, maybe an Oriental oh, that, rug. That, 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 that's Can you say good. Oriental that, rug? Is that still okay? Oriental you rug? You can't say Oriental. What is it called now? What are those rugs called? It, it's a rug shop. And then whatever the, I get Oriental the, is a decor. What were the Actually, rugs? Oriental is, oh, it is. Okay. It's okay. It's a decor, so I think Oriental is okay. What's not going to get looted? Um, let me think. No, I got it, dude. Both of us have published books. Here's one thing we're certain of: nobody's fucking looting a bookstore. Like, no you know what? No one's. Oh, let me. You know what? Somewhere in here is the language of dogs, and if I could just no, no find it, being like you know. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to be like, you know what? I've been, I've been, I've been protesting all day. I'm tired of my feet. I could go home and do a little bit of reading. Could I download this off Amazon? Eh, let me throw a garbage can through this bookstore, the the one bookstore in New York City. And, and I've been looking for American Wino by Dan Dunn for a long time, and I haven't been able to find it. Maybe I'll smash the window of this Barnes and Noble and see if it's in there. I would be so fucking happy. Imagine if you saw somebody running out of a bookstore with your book. Would that be the proudest moment of your life? If I somebody, if I saw somebody walking out of a bookstore with my book, period, let alone running. That's how I feel too. I'd be like, oh my God. Like people write me sometimes and they'll go, hey man, I got your book. And I'm still like, I want to get to the day. Like I would love to be at the point where I'm like James Patterson or Stephen King or anybody where you just don't give a fuck, right? That they bought your book. But anytime somebody says they bought my book, I'm so happy and grateful to them. When someone tells me that they've re- when someone hits me up and they tell me that they read my book and then they quote certain aspects, I'm like, Jesus, man, I get like uh, my, that book is pr- out of all the things I've done. High fidelity included the new show like that's probably Wait, uh, you can't let that reference slide right. by. I figured we do it in plugs. I figured we would just no, do that. In plugs. I'm going to talk about it right now. One of the proudest moments of my life, not of Justin's Yours. life, of my life is watching my good friend. Justin Silver, make out with Zoe Kravitz, which is what you did on that show. You played you played her ex-boyfriend on High Fidelity, and there was a sort of a little montage where montage. they just showed the sexual energy between you and Zoe Kravitz. So you got to make out with her repeatedly in various yeah. locations, and I was so proud of you and gripped with a jealous rage at the same time. Was a conflicting feelings going on there where I was like, God, man, I'm so fucking happy for Justin. And that fucker is getting to do the thing that I want to do. 
I got to tell you, it's so much more, it's so clinical when there's you're doing no it on passion. There's no passion to it. I, I guess there's a little bit because, um, no, I guess there's a little bit cause there's like the passion of acting. Did you get any, did still, you get chub? You get did you into get it. Chub? Did you get a little chub? No, I did There's, there's 150 people watching and then there's the monitors and the, and they're like directing. Did they have an intimacy it. coordinator on set? You know what? Here's an interesting thing. They didn't. And I'm surprised they didn't ask me because she was the figurehead of that show. She was one of the producers, one of the writers. You'd think they would have asked me, hey, have you had a this is pre COVID. But regardless, I was like, do you have cold? Do you get cold sores? Do you um, do you have any STDs? Do you have they didn't ask anything like that? Not that I do, but. They didn't ask anything like that. They didn't ask if I had been sick recently. Here's what they should. They, the only note I got was they said, hey, Zoe's a little nose sensitive. Please don't wear any cologne, <laughs> which I did anyway. What would you say would be the cheesiest besides Dracar Noir? Like, I think Polo smells good, though, man. I know it's so 80s. Cool but- water. Cool water. Cool. What's I don't even think I've ever heard of cool water. That was like the big, that was like the big, um, I got my cool water cologne. That was the big, uh, gangster rap cologne. I don't remember that. The nineties. Polo, Polo, Dracar Noir. What else was there? Um, Brute by Fabergé. Brute sucked. Bijan was a really cheesy one. Dijon? Bijan. Oh, I think it's a Dijon. I'm like, that's fucking mustard, dude. No wonder you're never getting laid. Smearing mustard on yourself. How's the whiskey? I'm drunk already. I can see it. I can see it in your eyes. Where you are you? Right? You're in. Up. You're in New York. I'm in New York. I'm in my. Do you not hear the sirens and the helicopters? Can you hear them through the mic? No, I'm in fucking Venice, dude. Same things going on here. Yeah, we're all. I think they're just drowning each other out. The helicopter. Yeah, I mean we're 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 quarantined. Now, dude, in in a million years, did you ever imagine this would be happening? Not only are we quarantined, we're on curfew. We're quarantined on curfew. We're, it's fuck more whiskey. I lost a, I lost a friend over this. You, you and I were talking the other day about what Trump had said, and we were saying in a time where the nation needs solidarity more than ever, and you need sort of like a big, you know, you need like the nation needs like a daddy to sort of just soothe everybody and make everybody feel okay. That comment about, uh, we must, we must crush the protesters. Like I, I, I made, I did some little tweet about it, and then I got. I got a text from my ex-ex-ex girlfriend, my former fiance when I was in my 20s, who lives in the middle of nowhere in Georgia. She's like, oh, so you're one of them. And I was like, ugh. So <laughs> that was just, it? And I'm, what? And that was it. Friendship over. Oh, no, 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 no. It went back and forth. I mean, I mean, I was like, listen, she's like, we're, we're, she's like, I'm sitting here armed to the teeth. With all with my with my with my country boys, I'm like I'm like there's more people that live in my building than live in your entire town. What are you worried about? They're going to steal your firewood? Like I live I live in the cultural and financial center of the world. Like you don't have helicopters flying over your house. Your opinion is fucking moot. I had a similar thing. I lost a friend over it too. A buddy of mine actually came by. We were having a social distancing drink in the yard, and we were talking about it. And he, you know, I I was saying that I felt like there was a, a really tragic failure of leadership at the top of the sure. country. Sure. And he disagreed with me. And so I shot him. You did. Killed him. Yeah. Lost a friend. Right, right, right in the fucking face. I just shot him in the face 
and I buried him out back and uh, lost a friend. Sad. Sorry, Dad. <laughs> it's so sad. Sorry. It's so sad when you lose a friend that way, when you have to shoot him in the face because you didn't like what they said. And if I have enough, if I have two more of these Boone Hobbins, I'll shoot somebody else. I'll go out and kill somebody right now. <laughs> that's getting cut out, by the way. There's no way that's making it into the podcast unless you say it. Do you mind saying what I just said, repeating that? No, I'm not going to say that. Come on, just say it. No. Damn it. I really am cutting that out. Um, let's let's switch gears a second and have some more whiskey. Boone Hobbin. Okay. Boone Hobbin. Cheers. The dog's very happy, by. She's sitting behind me right now. She couldn't be happier that I'm on on the Zoom with you. She loves it. She, I, I told her that you got a new dog. You got a new dog. Tell us here, let me tell you something. One of the criteria for the dog that I get is he's got to be calm enough to be able to sit on the flight to L.A. friendly enough, knowing that you and I are probably going to be in a house in Palm Springs pretty shortly in a pool. Hanging. That's the criteria. Yeah, that's it. She's got the, your dog has to. So let, tell us about this dog you got. He's laying here right now. He's this. Uh, I think he's more like four years old. He's this blue brindle pit bull. He's about. 60 pounds. He's got a giant head. He's got the friendliest disposition. He loves everybody. Um, he's not been neutered and his teeth have been neglected. So you can tell that he's, uh, there, there was certainly some neglect there, but I'm going to take him to the vet, see how much I can fix him up. I foster a bunch of dogs. And I mean, I, I fostered three dogs in this quarantine. One I fell absolutely in love with, and then it got taken away from me because the owner showed up at the ACC a few days after I adopted it, and I was a wreck over it, which doesn't often happen. But this guy, on personality alone, and he's, I mean, he's definitely a looker, but on personality alone, he is just winning me over, man. He is a sweetie. Have you given him a name? His name was initially Tiger because he's got these tiger stripes, but I think that name sucks. All right. Can I, I, can I get- suggest a name? Yeah. Since you profess to love Buna Hobbin, my dog. Buna? Why don't, why don't you name him Hobbin? Isla. Because that's, no. that's the island that Buna Hobbin's on. How about you name him Scotch? Here's the deal I have a friend whose dog's name is Isla. How about you name him On the Rocks? I'm not going to name him On the Rocks. I might name him Kanga. I was really into getting a giant dog and naming him Mega. I don't think this dog's big enough to name Mega, but he's very exotic. I may name him Kanga. He's he's cool. He's man. He's cool as hell. I've fostered dogs before where I was like, man, I, I really dig this dog. And then and then after a while, you're like, nah, it's not working out. And then I shoot him in the face. It's a thing I do, Justin. It's how you're a violent guy. Dan. I don't like long goodbyes. So that's why I choose to. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to. That's why I choose to leave the people and pets in my life by shooting them in the face. Here's what's happening. You have these codependent relationships, and then when they break off and you're like, we're not talking oh, anymore. Oh, boy. I'm not, Here I'm not even asking, we go. I knew this I'm was coming. I'm not even asking you anymore. I knew the psychoanalysis was coming. I'm not Put I'm a couple of whiskeys in them. And that, oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, fine. Um, so where else can the folks find you now? You got you got uh, 17 podcasts you're doing right now? 
no, I have three podcasts I'm doing. I have no disrespect with myself and comedian Mike Vecchione. Dan Dunn has done an episode. Oh no, no, you're going to be on that podcast. I'm going to be on shortly. We're gonna we're gonna have you on that. I think either I think next week is when we're planning on having you on. I gotta get you a Woo-hoo. date for that. But no disrespect. It's very bit heavy. So if you like a lot of comedy, like sketch comedy, things like that, and stand up, that's definitely a podcast for you. We have different comedians on and we write specifically for the comic of that podcast. Um I have neurotica. My it's sort of like a sex and anxiety podcast. I've been on that for, one. Yes, you've been on Neurotica. It's a search for um, inner peace, uh, good sex, and the perfect hand sanitizer. And then I have people want dog advice because I always get hit hit up for that. Um, I have the Language of Dogs podcast where I talk about all things dog and give like all this sort of training advice and answer uh, listener questions. And then people who go to my Instagram, I have two Instagram accounts. I have I am Justin Silver, which is all my comedy and lifestyle stuff and then i have the language of dogs which is all my dog stuff and then of course but people can go wait i don't want to make point this out people can go to you on the language of dogs and actually schedule individual training sessions like with a I do training sessions i do i do ig live training sessions on there because i get hit up so much for that and i do a lot of i do a lot of virtual sessions with people like it's amazing the stuff that you can do and i've been doing this way before this pandemic i've been doing this for years because ever since i had my show in hong kong i get hit up from people in hong kong and then australia um because that show went around the world so i've been doing that for a long time and it's amazing the amount of stuff you can do by demonstrating with the dog in front of you and then they just follow along um but they get but i also do ig live training sessions with people i ask i'm like hey do you want to do this on ig live so people can learn with you so whether it's nutrition consults or it's like you know, different training techniques they need. I'll do it on IG Live so that everybody else can watch as I'm doing it. So, yeah. Speaking of Hong Kong, who wins in the fictional dog fight? Hong Kong Fooey or Scooby-Doo? Scooby-Doo. Why? Scooby-Doo is a... He's a... Because you're damn. God... Because you're goddamn racist against Asians, aren't you? I'm just just admit Asians, it. Just that, admit it. No, why he's did, a why great did, thing. He's massive. And what was Hong Kong Fooey? He was like a mutt. Yeah, he was a mutt. You heard it here first, folks. Breaking news. Justin Silver, one of the world's leading dog experts, has gone on record as saying that Scooby-Doo would kick Hong Kong Fooey's ass. By the way, they're they're coming out with a, another movie version of Scooby-Doo, and it's called Scoob. Oh, they're going to make it that a little... That bothers ed- me. That bothers me on a fundamental level. Because oh, go it, shoot the guy in the face, Dan. I'm going to shoot that producer right in the face. <laughs> it speaks to a laziness. Why can't why remove the why? Was it too was it too onerous to say the why to add that extra? It's not even a fucking syllable. It's a sound. It's not even a syllable. It's a sound. I think they're trying to like hip it up a little bit, and they're like, "Yo, Scoob!" Like they're trying to make it more friendly. Like you know this guy. How about you hip it up by creating a new fucking dog? Create a new fucking character that's new. How many of your friends call you Double D? Not a lot of people on this podcast know that. Has that ever come up, Double D? No. Because it's fucking lazy. I refuse to let people call me that except my old friends who call me that because they're lazy like you. It's not even lazy because Dan Dunn is less syllables than Double D. Daniel Dunn is equal amount of syllables as Double D. Sybil, did you? Wait, misspoke. Drink. It's part of our drinking game on the show. I'm slurring, Dan. Sybil-bubbles. Sybil-bubbles? Sybil-bubbles. That's what I'm calling this episode. Sybil-bubbles with Justin Silver. Uh, On that note, I, I could talk to you all day, and I probably will after we after I hit stop on the record button here. But, uh, folks, follow Justin Silver. Follow him to the gates of fucking hell, because he'll, oh, he'll get I, you through it. Oh, go ahead. Can I tell you something? 
We're back on the road. What? Myself and Dan Stoder. Yeah, we're going to St. Louis. Wait, we're do you doing say Dan? Do you say Dan Stoder? Dan Soder. You said, said Stoder. No, you fucking said Stoder. Drink. I hit the D. I stuck the landing on the D. Soder. Run I that tape back. I think it was Stoder. The top of my the roof of my mouth. Soder. All right. So let's uh, hear myself about this. and Dan Soder will be on the road in St. Louis. Um, literally on the road. You can't yeah, go into on. a theater, right? Yeah. No, we're gonna we're doing a theater. We're doing we're doing a comedy club, but it's gonna be interesting. That'll be the those will be the first dates that I've done. I'll probably do a half hour. He'll do an hour. And I was just like, dude, I don't even know. I'm, I think my comedy is going to be like, yeah, I, I'm Jewish. I think I have a joke about that or something. But how are you? <laughs> first of all, so everybody knows Dan Soder, comedian, good friend of Justin's. Dan is on the show Billions. A lot of people watch mm-hmm. Billions. He plays Mephi on Billions. How are you? What are they going to do? Like, how are they going to put? Are they going to social distance? I think they're probably going to half seat the room. They're probably not going to fill the first two rows so that there's, you know, any sort of like projectile of our loud voices does not. It's not your voices they're worried about. It's the spit, right? That's what I'm saying. So where, where, when, when is this happening? On the 25th of this month. What? 25th, 26th, and 27th. Yeah. Well, New York is, New York is opening on the 8th. That, but when is this coming out? Uh, tomorrow. Okay. So that's. (laughs) Whatever day that is. All right. Four days from now. No, no, this is coming out. Uh, this show is going to air. This show is airing. If you're listening to it right now, the day came out. It's June 3rd. So right. when it, okay, when- so f- so in five days, New York is opening up. Wow. Well, maybe. This uh, recent events no. may have affected that. but Governor Cuomo, the New York's Papa Bear, says it's opening up. Everything's back. We're back. It's the gone. Curve, the virus is gone. The curve has flattened. <laughs> it's flattened. So, again, so everybody knows, Justin will be performing at the end of the month in St. Louis, and then the COVID-19 cases will spike in St. Louis in July. I've had enough of you right now. That's it. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Justin Silver, big fan of Buna Hobbin 12. We'll be right back after this word from uh, one of our sponsors, because we got so many. My friends, can I be straight with you? Right now is not the time to overpay for razors at the drugstore. In fact, you shouldn't be going to drugstores at all if you can avoid it. Harry's knows this. That's why they ship directly to you so you can experience the quality of a Harry's shave in just a few days from the convenience and safety of your own home. Why Harry's? Well, it's a return to the essential. Quality, durable blades at a fair price. We're talking $2 a blade. They've cut out the middleman. Harry's uses a German manufacturer that's been honing precision blades for a century. Those high-quality blades go straight from the factory to you with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let Harry's know, and they'll give you a full refund. So I've got a, uh, I got an offer for you. I've got a little deal. I'll make you a deal. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's and listeners to my show, What We're Drinking With Dan Dunn, can redeem their Harry's trial at harrys.com slash drinking. That's harrys.com slash drinking. Redeem it. You're going to get a weighted ergonomic handle for a firm grip, a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, some rich lathering shave gel with aloe, keeps your skin nice and hydrated, very important, and a travel blade cover, keep your razor dry and easy to grab on the go. Because eventually you're going to get to go somewhere again, I promise. So go to harrys.com slash drinking to start 
shaving better today. I put on a kilt. Got my kilt. I'm rocking it. And for the final word on kilts, a wee poem by the late great Robert William Service. How grand the human race would be if every man would wear a kilt, a flirt of tartan finery instead of trousers, custom built. Nay, do not think I speak to joke. You know I'm not that kind of man. I am convinced that all men folk should wear the costume of a clan. Imagine how it's braw and clean as in the wind it flutters free and so conducive to hygiene in its sublime simplicity. No fool fly buttons to adjust, we shanks and maybe buttocks bare. Oh, shields, just take my word on trust. A bonny kilt's the only wear. And with that, I want to uh, bring the show to an end. I'm going to do it by, uh, I got some music. Let me, I'm going I'm to do some mixing right now. Add a little guitar. I don't know if that works. Let's try it with the bass. I want to thank Justin Silver joining me on the show. Oh. Who else? What else happened? What else happened on the show? It's been a long time since we started. It's, it's, it's been a long time and a lot of whiskey. Oh, I want to thank Dr. Billy Sinclair and the folks at Buna Haben for making it. I want to thank Buna Haben for being my best friend. And thank you. And follow me at The Imbiber. And we'll see you next time.